This morning, we are concluding our fall kickoff series called Come Together, all about why we as God's people come together in community. In the last two weeks, Pastor Bob has encouraged us in these truths by reminding us that we come together as God's people in community to, first of all, worship our good and our worthy God. Amen? Amen. Amen. And second of all, we come together as God's people in community to find support, to receive support in our times we need it, to offer support to our brothers and sisters, all in the name of Jesus. And this morning, we conclude our series by zeroing in on one more way we come together, and that is coming together as the church in mission. And what better place to look at the mission of the church than the book of Acts? So I want to invite you to turn with me, if you would, to the book of Acts, starting in chapter 1. The verses that we're going to read today are Jesus' last words to his disciples after he has been resurrected from the dead, right before he ascends back into heaven. And the words that we read are essentially the words we, we hear at the end of Matthew, the Great Commission just written in a different way from the author, Luke. And what a better book to look at the words of the Great Commission than Acts. Acts is essentially the unfolding of the early church's work in the Great Commission, but we know it's not over yet. We as God's people are still gathering together around that Great Commission today. So let's hear the word of the Lord from the book that we love and this testimony of God's people coming together in mission and how God prepares them for that mission as his body. So we'll be in Acts 1, starting in verse 6. So when the disciples met together, they asked Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So what we see in these verses is, is a retelling of the Great Commission, yes, but it is also God preparing his people to live on mission together. And the first thing that we see God set his people up with as they prepare for mission is focus and direction. The disciples have been with Jesus for three years. They spent three years being taught by him being led by him. And the very last thing they ask him before he ascends into heaven is, Lord, now, is now the time you're going to bring the power back to Israel? Is now the time you're going to restore the kingdom? I think we see a great measure of our Lord's love 
and patience for his disciples here. Because Jesus just spent the last three years teaching them about a very different kingdom, about a very different kind of king. Jesus spent the last three years telling them that the kingdom of God was not about overtaking the Roman authority in that day. Jesus lived, he died, he rose again to show them that difference. And yet here they are again asking, God, is now the time you're going to give the Romans the boot? Is now the time you're going to restore Israel to her former glory? Do you see Jesus' patience here? He simply redirects them. He says, it's not for you to know the time or the dates the Father has set when I will return and I will restore all things. It's easy for me, if I'm being really honest with you, to get a little fussy with the disciples here and to go, really? You just watched him raise from the dead? You listened to him for three years and you still don't get that this is bigger than the nation of Israel? and the political power you want over the Romans. <laughs> but Jesus is patient. And he's patient with us, too. Because not only does the Lord have to redirect the disciples' focus and to say, your job is not to know the times, your job is not to wait for that power, your job is to do what I have commanded you to do. And I think God needs to tell us, all these many centuries later, the same thing. Child, your job is not to dwell on the times. How many Christians do we know who have dedicated their lives to looking at the book of Revelation, to looking at the book of Daniel, to writing passages, and to saying, this, I think, these are the signs, this is when Jesus must be coming back. Have you ever heard those prophecies in your day? Surely this day, this is the day that Jesus is coming back, right? And now hear me, it's not wrong to study scripture. We better be studying scripture. It's good that we're going through the book of Revelation. It's good that Marlene's group looked into Daniel. It is our call as children of God to know the signs of the times. What, what it is not our call to do is to dwell unhelpfully on those details. John Piper reminds us in his book, A Hunger for God, we know Christ isn't going to return until all people have heard the name of Jesus. So if all people, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, have not heard the name of Jesus, which we know there are lots of unreached people groups still today. Stop worrying about the times. Just do the mission that God has given us, right? That's what Jesus is telling his disciples here. It's not for you to know the times or the dates. It's not for you to know when the Romans are going to be overthrown and Israel will be returned to her former glory. What about us, America? How many of us are so focused on the way America used to be, on the morality and the former things this, this great Christian nation used to be, right? And we talk about the glory days and what we need to do to get her back to where she was. But that's not what Christ has called us to focus on. It's a great thing for a nation to turn in humility before the Lord, and that is my prayer for our nation. But focusing on the restoration of America and what she used to be is not what God has called us to. God redirects the disciples. And he says, stop focusing on times and dates. Stop focusing on political power and one nation. And instead, focus on what I'm calling you to do. And that is to be my witnesses. And he says the same thing to us today. 
Orchard Hill, don't focus on just the times and the dates. Don't focus on one nation. Our call as God's people here at Orchard Hill together is to be witnesses to what we have seen and experienced and known of Jesus Christ. There's this beautiful promise in the book of Isaiah that says this in Isaiah 49. God's word says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. The disciples' identity and calling wasn't in just one nation. God said, yes, I will restore Israel. I will restore my nation. But it's too small a thing just to do that. I'm going to send you out into something bigger. You're going to witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, all the way to the ends of the earth. Broaden your minds. Broaden your hearts. I'm doing something bigger, and I'm using you to be a part of that. And that's our call and our identity, too. Not just to focus on one people, one nation, but to broaden our minds and to see that this promise of God, all the way from the book of Isaiah, really from Genesis, is to go out and be a light to all nations as we together, the body of Jesus Christ across time and space, witness to the truth of who he is. So here, in this beginning, we see Jesus immediately giving the disciples a focus and a direction. Your focus and your direction is to witness to what you have seen and experienced of me. And we know that can only happen when God empowers his people with the power of the Holy Spirit. Which is what Jesus says here in these verses. In verse 8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. In verses 4 and 5, he tells them not to go out and start this witnessing. Don't go out and start this mission until you first receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus promises to empower his disciples with the Spirit, and we are given that same promise today. We know by faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the guarantee. Scripture calls it the deposit of the Holy Spirit, and that is what we need, church, when we come together to witness, because we have no power outside of the power that Jesus Christ gives us in his spirit. In the book of Acts, like I said, it's the unfolding of the Great Commission. It's the church going together to reach the nations with the good news of Jesus. But they can't do that in the way they need to do that without the power of the Holy Spirit. What do we see in Acts? What kinds of struggles is their witness up against? They go before kings, right? The disciples are out there going before kings. They're going before governors. They're going to death threats. They're going to beatings. They're going to enemy territory. The disciples are going out with this witness of who Jesus is in the face of the seemingly impossible. And they can't do that with fruit and with power without the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says with weight, and I will empower you with my spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. These 12 disciples, they had seen. 
They had witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Three years with him, they walked with him, they talked with him. And while we may not have seen the physically resurrected Jesus Christ, we too know him because we have been given the Holy Spirit. And so we are connected in communion today. So brothers and sisters, the second way that we come together on mission is empowered with the Holy Spirit, just like the disciples were, and just like Jesus still promises us today. And it's really important for us to know, as Jesus says this here, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That the you that Jesus is using, the Greek word that's written here, is a plural. Jesus isn't just looking at one disciple and saying, okay, I'm giving it all to you. I'm going into heaven. You are the one. You know, he doesn't look at Peter and says, okay, I said on this rock I will build my church. So Peter, here's the Holy Spirit. This is a collective you. Then y'all, all y'all receive the Holy Spirit. You will receive power. Jesus is empowering every single one of his disciples there and continuing on today. This is a collective empowerment. And the same is true in the next verse. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, he's not just going, okay, Peter, head on out there, brother, you've got this. Go tell the world about me. You'll do it. You'll be my witness. It's the same word again in Greek, the same you all connotation. I have called and identified every single one of you disciples, he says, to go out and to be my witnesses, to witness to what you have seen and heard from me. Go tell the world. And the same is true for us, brothers and sisters in Christ. We aren't one of us just called to witness. It's not just one of us that is given the gift of evangelism. Let's Let's be honest, some of us aren't as strong in that gift as others, and that's okay. We're not all supposed to have the same gifts. We've talked about that. But we have all been given the identity and the calling to witness to who Jesus is. This is a collective calling. So as God gets his church ready in the early church, and as God is moving now, what he does is he calls us into this witness together. This is not one person's job, but it is our collective identity as the church of Jesus Christ. So we have to come together around this mission. And I think too often as individuals, we get overwhelmed by this calling. Have any of you ever been overwhelmed by the idea of sharing the gospel with someone? Yeah, some of you are not being honest. <laughs> I've been overwhelmed many times in my life. The first time we did the door-to-door -door invites, I'm the outreach pastor at this church. The first time we did the door-to-door -door invites to our neighbors, I was nervous, right? Jesus doesn't say, don't be nervous. <laughs> but Jesus says, this is for all of you to do. But sometimes, if we're honest, we get overwhelmed. And I think it's because we're in this siloed idea that I have to share my faith and it's all on me. But this isn't how Christ called us. He called us together, internationally, locally. He called us together. Think about the examples of the faith that we've seen throughout time and history. Jim Elliott, one of the, the international mission heroes, you could say, of the Christian faith, went to Ecuador 
to share the gospel with an unreached people group. Did Jim go by himself? Does anybody know the story of Jim Elliot, the end of the spear? Did Jim go by himself? No. <laughs> Jim went with a team of people who's, who those men and their families were dedicated to seeing this unreached people group come to know Christ. They prepared together. They went together. And Jim wasn't the only one that died at the end of the spear. All of those men were put together. together. And after they were put to death, their wives, their children, their families collectively said, this was all of our call. We are going back. And they went. And they shared the gospel. And God opened doors. But Jim didn't go alone. That would have been an overwhelming task for him. He went as a part of a church body. We at Orchard Hill are working with one of the young men from our congregation to reach a lost and unreached people group. And, and one of the things the organization that this young man is working with told us is that Orchard Hill, you've got to get it into your head. You are not sending this young man and saying, good luck, we're really excited for you to plant a church somewhere in an unreached people group. You've got to get it through your head, Orchard Hill, that you are collectively taking responsibility for planting a church and reaching an unreached people group. It's not something one person from Orchard Hill has been called to do on their own. It's something we are collectively called to do together. And this is reflective of the way Jesus calls his disciples into mission. And the same is true when we share our faith locally at home. So often we look at it as this person, my niece, my coworker, my, my friend on my team, this person God has put in my life, and it is my sole responsibility to share my faith with them. Has anybody ever felt that way? Again? Okay. It's just me this morning. Thank you for the two of you. Have you ever felt that way, Orchard Hill, this pressure? Like it's on you to share your faith and you alone? I know I've been there. But my discipleship group reminds me that this isn't true. I'm part of a discipleship group here at Orchard Hill. It's a it's a group of four of us women that meet on a regular basis to ask four accountability questions. And one of the questions we ask every single time we meet is, who are you sharing your faith with? And those women pray by name for the people I am sharing my faith with. One of them we've been praying by name for a very long time. And I've been desiring for this person that I love dearly to see the Lord, to come into a deep relationship with him. And while it is mostly me interacting with this person and sharing in my life, I know those women are regularly praying for this person. I've seen those women, when opportunities arise, reach out to this person, come alongside them, and love them with me. And, and at one point, as we were praying for this person, this, this person I love dearly reached out to me and said, Laura, I have a new coworker, and they're a Christian. And they really love Jesus, and we're, we're getting to know each other. And it's been really great. And I was flabbergasted, Orchardville. I was stopped in my tracks, and I was like, what are the odds that another Christian would enter into this person's life? God, how crazy is that? And I think the Lord probably just shook his head and laughed at me. Lord, do you think it was your sole responsibility do you think you were the only person I was going to put in this person's life? Look at all the people that have been praying with you for this person. Of course there are other Christians in the world I'm going to use, Laura. 
How many Christians in your life did it take for you to get to the point of faith you were at with me? It wasn't just one one-on-one -on -one conversation that one day changed your life. It was a conglomeration of my people that I used to bring you to faith. And the same is true for us. We look at it as this one-on-one -on -one call, and yes, there are times where we are alone and we are sharing, but it is not just one of us represented there. It is the larger church of Jesus Christ and the power behind them that is testifying to the gospel in those one-on-one -on -one situations. I played basketball for nine years. You might not know it now, but I did. I played basketball for nine years. And I have to tell you, the number of times I got my butt kicked on the basketball court because I was playing man-to-man -man defense against someone that was way better than me at basketball is embarrassing. They were faster, they were smarter, and I could not keep up. Has anybody played basketball and experienced this? It's so defeating, it's so frustrating. But when we switched to zone defense, it was like I could breathe again. When we switched to zone, I knew it just, just wasn't my job to guard number 10, who was clearly superior than I was at basketball. It was my job to be a part of a team, to take my place in the key, and to guard where I needed to be. And I had brothers and sisters spread out along the court with me, defending that basketball hoop, and it wasn't just on me. But so often, Satan tricks us into thinking as, as individuals, we are playing man-to-man -man defense when it comes to sharing our faith. But that is not what we are doing. We are playing zone defense, Orchard Hill. We are together working collectively towards a larger goal, and it's not just on you. But that is one of the greatest lies, one of the greatest illusions that Satan employs against the church of Jesus Christ. Isolation. Not just talking about loneliness. We know that that's an issue right now, today and in our world. I'm talking about when it comes to the Great Commission. Jesus saying, you, my disciples, will be my witnesses. Satan gives us the illusion that we are alone in that call. But that could not be further from the truth. Jesus Christ himself testified to the truth of who he was on the earth. But who did he surround himself with? his disciples. He taught them. He showed them the way. He empowered them and said, you now go bring the news out. Jesus Christ alone did not take on the job of bringing the gospel to every tribe, every tongue, every nation. We know we do it in his power. I'm not getting heretical here. It's okay. But he chose you, church, to go and to do that. He passed on that mission, that call, that witness to you. And if Jesus Christ himself is not physically going in his body to every tribe, every tongue, every nation, but has chosen to pass on that job to us collectively, why would we think that we are alone in that call? This is a reminder from Christ. We're not playing man-to-man -man defense. We are a community, community collectively moving towards this call to witness together, so don't let Satan paralyze you with a seemingly undoable task. If you try to do it on your own, you will fail. 
And just like young Laura did, you will get your butt kicked over and over and over again. But if you lean into the power of the Spirit and to the community that's around you, the task suddenly doesn't just become doable, it becomes enjoyable and fruitful and an identifier for who we are in Christ. The summer, my husband and I started our first garden. Um, and by my husband, I mean Kurt built and filled and got ready all the beds. But I helped him plant the seeds. Um, but we started our first garden, and uh, on, that, on that last photo on the end, you can see the three raised beds we made. That ended up turning into five raised beds and transplanting, because we have A, no idea what we're doing. But B, there was a lot more to do than we realized, and we planted too much in one. And long story short, this garden turned out to be a lot of work. And Kurt works 24-hour shifts now, and so we're not always home together. So sometimes I'm tending the garden by myself. And I have to tell you, it's hot in the summer. And when you're like eight months pregnant in the middle of the summer, the last thing you want to do is go outside and fight the bugs and the mushrooms that were growing under our tomatoes and spend two hours picking green and yellow beans. But I found when Kurt and I can go together on the days that we both are off, gardening has become one of my favorite things. We have this, these great produce that we're getting now. We get to spend time just talking and in purposeful work. Suddenly the heat doesn't feel so warm and the tending becomes very enjoyable and very fruitful. Again, I think it's the same for mission. When we try to do it on our own, it can be very laborsome. It can feel pressure and difficult. But when we join in with God's people and we commit to doing this together, suddenly it changes. And we see what God is doing, we see the fruit, and we are empowered to go knowing we are not alone, but we are standing alongside other Holy Spirit-filled brothers and sisters with the same call and the same purpose. And that is beautiful, brothers and sisters. So I want to ask you this morning, if you struggle with being excited about mission, if you struggle with living it out, if you struggle with not feeling pressure, not feeling like it's this overwhelming, paralyzing task, I want to ask you, how can you lean into your church family today to know that you are not called to this alone, but you are empowered with your brothers and sisters to go live on commission? How can, how can you come together in this community to live on mission. Maybe for you, it's getting into a discipleship group, like I mentioned, because those women are keeping that on my radar. Every other week when we meet, they ask me, and I know they'll ask me, who are you sharing your faith with? And I know they're not sending me out alone, but they're praying with me. They're praying for me, for the people that I love. Maybe for you, it's, it's you have a couple friends here at Orchard Hill, or maybe there's Christian friends at your office or at your school, and you know somebody, collectively you all have a friend that doesn't know Jesus, maybe you can commit together to praying for that person, to being intentional with that person. So it's not just you doing it on your own, but you're doing it in a community. Maybe you're going, I I've always wanted to share my faith or be part of an outreach, but I don't know the first thing about how to do that. Hey, every month there's an opportunity at Orchard Hill to come and be equipped and to learn how to do that and to join with your brothers and sisters next to you 
to know how to do that and to do that in community. When we go door to door and pray for our neighbors and talk to them, nobody goes alone. <laughs> we go out in teams of two and then greater teams of 10 to 20 to go do this together. Maybe it's something else the Spirit is speaking to your heart right now, saying this is how I want you to connect in community, to live out this mission of my church today. I don't know what it is for you, but I want you to critically think about that question. Lord, how can I get connected to community, to be empowered to live out this call to witness that you have put on the church of Jesus Christ? And when we do that, when we live this way in our mission, I think our mission ends up looking a lot more like the witness of the early church. The early church was excited. They were encouraged by mission and they had a few things that marked their witness that I think ours will be marked by when we do this together. The first, the Bible tells us that the early church went out in power and saw fruit. Acts 4 says, with great power, the apostles testified to the resurrection of Jesus. And Acts 2 says, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They didn't do it alone. They went together as people who had seen what Jesus could do. And because of that, they were doing it in power and they were seeing fruit come from their efforts. And I think we will too when we do this together. The second way I think we can look like our witness looks like the early church uh, when we live on mission is that it will be marked by urgency and consistency. Acts 4, a witness of Jesus says this, we can't help but speak about what we have seen and heard. They knew they were meeting together daily, breaking bread together, in the word together, and going out together. They knew what Jesus had done for them. They'd seen the power and the fruit of what this witness could do. And they were urgently and consistently going out and seeking that together. When we come together, I think that sense of urgency and that consistency, right? My discipleship group is continuing to encourage and pray for me. When we come together in mission, we can be marked by that same urgency and consistency as the early church. And finally, the third way our witness can look like theirs is to be marked by a hope and a joy. In Acts 5, some of the disciples have just been flogged for witnessing to who Jesus is. And this is what scripture says, after they were flogged, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming that the good, the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Even in the face of persecution, they had seen what life was like before Jesus. And in coming together, they had a joy and a hope in their witness that could not be stifled. And they lived together on mission joyfully, hopefully not bound by this burden of mission we have to do together, but changed and empowered by the Spirit, encouraged by one another to go out with the joy and the hope that they had and witness to what Jesus had done for them. When we live this way, when we come together in mission, our witness can be marked by this same kind of early church fiery witness that we see all throughout the book of Acts. That is who Jesus' church is, and that is what he has empowered our witness to look like. Amen. And that's what I want to challenge us to live out today. 
a fiery witness together for the world to see who Jesus is. Because we know the end of the story. Actually, the end of the story was told for us today. Verse 10, when the disciples are looking intently to the sky, two angels come and they say, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. We know the end of the story. He's coming back. And that is good news, brothers and sisters. We are living in an interim right now. Interim means temporary. We are living in an interim time between the resurrection and ascension of Jesus and the return when our King will come at the time set by the Father to restore all things. Interim is short. It's temporary. The angels come and they look at the men of Galilee and they say, Disciples, stop staring up into the sky and get to getting. You only got a certain amount of time. Go tell the world. He told you, I will empower you and you will be my witnesses. And the time is short before the ending that we know is coming. So Orchard Hill, let's come together in mission so we as God's people in this grace-filled interim period that we know is coming to an end can faithfully witness to who Jesus is while we still have the time to bring hope to the world. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for unleashing us, God. We thank you that you saved us, but that you didn't just save us to sit in our seats alone. That you have called, empowered, sent us together and unleash us to go into the dark world and to witness that we have seen Christ resurrect, we have experienced his power, and we know that that same power is offered to every person